Okay, so we are now live on Facebook and we're recording and we're going to get started. Okay, well, welcome. I want to um, welcome our sage for today, Indra Nuja. And um, I'm going to read his little bio and then we can get started with him giving us all the details. Um, he was born in 1953 that was a very good year that was the same year i was born um, in hamilton scotland um, he went to the university when he was 17 and it was there that he first met the devotees in the winter of 1972 and in 1973 he started going to the edinburgh temple with his brother gordon Tai then Gordon, so he has a brother that's an initiated devotee, and knew then that Srila Prabhupada would be his spiritual master. He remembers the first time he saw Srila Prabhupada coming out of his car and entering the manor. Um, he still had long hair, and his entire visit in 1976 was like an awakening for him. At that time, he vowed to renounce the world and become Prabhupada's disciple. He was a brahmachari for six years until he met his beautiful, lovely wife, Lalita Saki, in 1982. And since then, he has had four children. And now he lives in a beautiful farm called Bhaktivan, which is 40 miles southwest of Kansas City. So that's a that's in the United States, for those of you who might not know about the geography here. Up until the last year, we had regular programs with many congregational members. They had many congregational members attending. Um, and by the grace of Manan Gopal and Gurungi Priya, he was fortunate to meet um, Guru Maharaj in 2009 or 10 at a program in their old house in Hillsborough. And I remember that I was there that day. So that was very nice to have met you then. And that was definitely a life-changing moment for myself and for himself and Saki. Um, and he's gonna talk about that more in his interview. So in his business life, he manages a medical clinic and he's in the process of launching a new business which he's the CEO of. So very important personality here we have. <laughs> and he, he also serves on a board for, the non, for, a, for a profit corporation and manages a nonprofit that feeds thousands of people in India. So he's a very well-rounded, um, accomplished personality and um, wonderful to have you on today. So. I'm going to just start just asking you some questions, maybe to give us a little background when you were growing up, um, if there were any signs or cues or hints that you were going to take to a spiritual path um, in your, in your yeah. teens. Any, any clues? Well, yeah, I mean, when I was little, <clears throat> I used to go to church with my mom. We belonged to a a very small Protestant church called the Brethren. They were very right-wing, very strict, 
they were so strict that they didn't even have crosses. They were Christian, but they didn't believe in having any symbols whatsoever. It was just kind of really just very, very fundamental. But I remember having a kind of a vision one day. <laughs> I'd kind of dozed off a little bit. I was quite young and um, I had this vision of Jesus. And I thought, wow, uh, this is amazing that I have some shelter, you know, that was kind of what I thought. In any case, when I was 13, I, uh, I was actually teaching Sunday school and um, the, the lay preacher had been just talking and he had been talking about eternal damnation. And, you know, I, th this always made me uncomfortable. But I'd been reading all sorts of books at this point, you know, um, especially books from the East, but also books like, you know, the Somerset Mons, the Razor's Edge, that kind of thing, you know. And that was, it was, all these books that I'd been reading were kind of about meditation and self-realization and that type of thing. And in any case, I, I really had this really very uncomfortable feeling that God wasn't who they thought he was. So I asked them straight up. I said, look, you know, do you mean to say that um, God would condemn someone to hell forever? And the guy said, yeah, that's his love. I said, it doesn't sound like love. It sounds like hate to me. It's the opposite of love. And he was like, so we, so we had this kind of go at each other, you know, kind of thing back and forth. And at that point, I just said, I'm done with this, you know, so I walked away from the church. And essentially, I, I became just a seeker, really. And then when I was 16, the George Harrison released the Maha Mantra, uh, the Radha Krishna Temple album. And the Maha Mantra went to, I think it was number six in the UK. But I remember the very first time they were on this very famous music program called Top of the Pops. And I was, I was actually standing in the living room with my mother and it came on the TV and it completely blew my mind. This mantra was like absolutely sublime. I remember thinking, this is, this is, this is just something else, you know? And my mother was appalled. I remember she was thinking, this is crazy. What's happened to the world? And I was thinking, of course, I was 16. I was getting any all sorts of things. But anyway, so, um, so we started chanting Hare Krishna, myself and my brother. And then um, I started my brother and myself, actually in 1972, I met the Du Bois when I was in college. And that was an interesting thing. I was, um, it was the winter of 72, February, I believe. It was a very, very cold day. And I was walking to this one place. It was called the Salon Tea Center and I'd become a vegetarian. And this was the only place in Glasgow where you could get where you could be absolutely guaranteed to get something vegetarian, you know? So they had a salad bar. So outside the Salon Tea Center, there was a guy standing there with a doughy and a T-shirt and a pair of flip-flops on. And he was blue with the cold. He was just freezing. I could see he was freezing, but he was distributing BTGs. And I went up to him and I got a BTG. <laughs> just like, so I had a sort of a brief conversation. And in any case, we went, we went in and we had our salad. We came back out and he was gone. But it always struck me. I have this picture of him and I, I even know who he was now, you know. 
I have this picture of this devotee. He had so much faith that he thought that he could distribute without a coat on or in Glasgow in the winter. So anyway, so that was my, my first. And then shortly after that, a friend of mine gave me a Krishna book. One of the big, remember the big Krishna books? Sure. They were beautiful. Anyway, he gave me a Krishna book and I read that book from cover to cover. And, you know, Prabhupada, in there, he says, just theoretically accept that this little blue cow-haired boy could be God. So I read it with that in mind, and it gave me faith that Krishna is God. And at that point, I, I realized, yeah, that's fine. I can, I can, I can accept the. I, I've already been chanting the, the holy name. Now I can accept that Krishna is God, and it all kind of tied together. But I had not met Prabhupada at this point so i started going to the temple in edinburgh and myself and my brother we would hitchhike back and forth it was only 30 or 40 miles and we would stay the weekend and then uh come back and then i moved to england and i was living about 60 miles from the manor so we would regularly i would regularly drive down to the manor and stay the weekend and then come back and then, and I was feeling very unhappy at that point. I had, I had everything I ever wanted in my life. I was a musician. I had a decent job. I lived in the country with my best friends. We were all chanting Hare Krishna. I mean, we had an altar that we would offer our food on, but I was still taking drugs. So it was like, I knew that I'd have to give that up. I'd given everything else up. Everything, I was celibate at that time. I'd given everything else up. But that was the one thing I couldn't. So then Prabhupada came to the manor in July and I just said, okay, I'm going to go see Prabhupada. And I hadn't, I had no intention at that point of surrendering, but then a few things happened and pretty much Krishna forced me to surrender at that point. And I remember thinking, thank you, Krishna. I, you know, I'm so happy to, have Prabhupada as my guru. That's exactly what I wanted. And and I remember um, seeing him coming out the car and I was right behind him and I was thinking, oh, Krishna, Krishna, just let me take shelter. That's all I need to do now. You know, I knew the philosophy. I'd been reading the books for years. I actually was preaching for years before I joined, you know. So I really understood the philosophy. Um, but then... When I saw him, I said, oh, okay, this is personification. And then uh, we all went up to his room, uh, Prabhupada's room in the manor, it's a big room. And there was about, I don't know, about 150 devotees in there. But but in the room itself, there were, Prabhupada was, had a low table, and then he had four seats to the right of him. And there were four Indian men sitting on these seats. And the youngest of the four, there was three were quite old. And then there was a young man, probably in his 20s or early 30s. And he was complaining to Prabhupada about, uh, Jan Masmi had just happened. And, and the devotees had been selling the maha to make some money. And he had been complaining that, you know, he had to buy maha prasad. So Prabhupada started making jokes. Prabhupada was a very, very funny man. <laughs> he could, he could, he could charm anybody, and just, you know, really, um, he was very, very charming. And the two older gentlemen started laughing, and they were, 
I mean, it was literally, they were almost falling off their chairs. They were laughing so hard, you know? And the young man was getting embarrassed. And then all of a sudden he got the joke and he just, the whole atmosphere changed. Anyway, the whole room, we were all just laughing. And by the way, he was speaking in Hindi, so nobody understood what he was saying. We, later on, somebody explained it to me, but it didn't matter. We were just chuckling along. It was very funny. So that was, my, that was the first time I met Prabhupada. And then later on that week, I was fortunate to be able to go to the airport. And I literally sat at his feet in the airport lounge while he was, and I was just sitting looking at his feet, you know. <laughs> it was very sweet. It was very, very kind. So that's how I, that's kind of how I joined. About um, maybe, I'm going to say a year and a half after I joined, Prabhupada left the planet. And it was like, just the most mind-numbing, shattering experience of my life. I, I, I have to say, I was, I was actually in Ireland at the time distributing books. And um, Ireland's a separate island. So to get to Britain, you have to take a ferry. And of course, when we heard, we wanted to go back to the manor. But it took us a day and a half to get to the manor. And um, when we arrived at the manor, Everybody was crying. It was like just, it was like devastation, you know, desolation. In any case, uh, you know, then the Mayapur festival rolled along around the 78 and they appointed a guru for England and his name was Jai Tirtha. Now, Jai Tirtha was a very sweet man. He was a very, very kind devotee, humble you know, just really everything that you would want a devotee, you know. We just loved him, you know. He was just such a sweet man. But when he became a guru, he seemed to lose his mind, you know. It was like for the first couple of years, everything was fine. And then he started taking drugs. And um, I remember um, we had bought a place in the center of the country because we had been making, I don't know, 20 devotees a month or something like that for years and years. And the manor was just bursting at the seams. There was 400 devotees in this little building, you know? So we bought this big place called Chaitanya College. Um, and he, in any case, in 1981, after the Mayapur Festival, he came to Chaitanya College. And he exhibited these Sahajya kind of pastimes that were just completely bizarre to the point where at one point he actually fell off the Vyasasan and it turns out he was taking drugs and you know I remember looking at him thinking he looks awfully stoned you know and I was thinking this is weird you know it was very very uncomfortable time um, but it, it split the Yatra in two and in 1982 he left just shortly after we get married and um, I remember uh, you, myself, and the the uh, regional secretary, Vich Treviri, we were the only two kind of senior devotees there. We were trying to keep everything together, and literally uh, 300 devotees left one afternoon, just left the service, just split. How did, how did that situation affect your faith at that time? Well, it was interesting because I was actually, it didn't, worry me in the slightest because I knew what was going on. I kind of knew that this was this was a fall down, that the process was still real mm -hmm. and Prabhupada was still there. You know, I still had full faith in Prabhupada and the philosophy. 
But, you know, I could see all these younger boys just leaving, you know, and they get into all sorts of Mayas or all of that, to the point where it was really, I mean, it was murder and mayhem. It was literally insanity. And, and, and to the point where one of his disciples ended up murdering him in a very gruesome way. And, and I remember thinking, you know, take shelter of Krishna, but when you leave the shelter of Krishna, then you're back to the world of Maya, the, the world of karma. And who knows what will happen at that point. Plus all the offenses you commit in the, in the process. It's just not, it's not a safe place to be. There's no shelter there, you know? So, so, anyways. You, so what do you think allowed you to weather those storms? It sounds like, like when I asked you that question about how it affected your faith and you said, well, not at all. So what, what do you think gave you the ability to kind of ride through it when there were a lot of older devotees who didn't have the same ability to get through it? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I had the association of some really far out devotees. I mean, some mm -hmm. really nice devotees. Um, Sangha. Probably four or five sannyasis. And then some of the older uh, British devotees who were who we were very close to um so that was the other thing and then the third thing was that i had had a lot of very deep realization from just the practice of krishna consciousness i mean it isn't like it isn't like we practice and nothing happens we practice and a lot of things happen i mean you know any any of those deep realizations or one maybe that you could share that wouldn't be too yeah, yeah, I can. I could tell you a couple, maybe. But anyway, one of them was I remember um, myself and this other devotee. We were driving back from Sankirtan, and it was a six-hour drive. So we decided, okay, let's read Chaitanya Charitamrita. So we literally read Chaitanya Charitamrita to each other for six hours, and we and we literally were there with Lord Chaitanya. I swear, this was one of these things where. We were, I don't even know who was driving the truck. I mean, I was driving it, but I don't remember anything about the drive. I just remember pulling into the pulling into Chaitanya College, and the two of us looked at each other and we said, "Hey, let's go do that again." <laughs> I mean, literally, it was like it was completely mind blowing. So you talk about being in Lord Chaitanya's association. That was the most amazing thing. And then there was another experience. I mean, I had tons of experiences, but there was another experience where we had, uh, I'd been out again, Sankirtan, and I had met this one young, he was, he was 17 at the time. He became a devotee, he still is. Uh, and, you know, um, we brought him with us. He was actually an American guy. His parents, his father worked for Lockheed Martin up in the north of England, and he was, he was going to school there. Uh, so we just said, hey, you want to come and come to a festival? It was Gorpurnima, the I think it was three days from there. I said, we'll, we'll drive you down there. So we just picked him up and drove him down. And I remember I had to drive uh, to uh, this one city to pick up some parts for a vehicle. We had all these American vehicles. And um, I preached to him. And at the same thing happened again. I got so into the preaching that I for, I literally left my body. And he and I became this kind of unit, you know. I don't know exactly how to describe it, but it was like 
it was like when I arrived there, I literally almost fell out the truck. I was in kind of like some kind of trash or something. <laughs> I, this sounds a little crazy, actually, I know, but but he he said the same thing to me. He said, that was the most amazing thing that I've ever heard. It was like he had been, you know, he was just coming along just to, he wasn't, he wasn't interested in spiritual life, but but when he, when I connected with him, when we both did this, it was like he just popped out of the material world and he became a devoy right there and then. There's a third thing actually that I should mention. Um, and this happened to not me or I have two brothers. My eldest brother's John. He never actually took initiation. But John met Prabhupada at the manor in 1973. And it's a very far out story. He had no idea about the devotees whatsoever. He had, he had, never, he had never chanted Hare Krishna or anything, but he had a business. And these two devotees that were trying to raise money for the Edinburgh Temple approached him and said, hey, um, could you help us raise money? For and he said, sure, no problem. He said, well, they said, well, I'll tell you what, Prabhupada is at the manor. Why don't you drive us to the manor? Now, you got to understand, that's a six-hour drive. It's not just, you know, drive us to the manor, meet guru, and explain to him what you're doing, and then get his blessings, and then we'll get going on this thing. So Johnny drove them down there. Now, the manor was under construction at the time, you know. The opening was in two months, and the devoys were working these, you know, 24-hour shifts to get it done. So they just dumped him in the showroom and left him there, you know. So he wandered around the manor for three days on his own. He had not, no clue what was going on. People would bump in him and say, oh, how are you doing? And just... Yeah, fine, no problem. And then one day, this devotee came and got me and said, oh, we're going to go see Prabhupada. And he said, oh, it sounds good. And he thought it was kind of a business presentation or something, you know. So they're walking up the stairs to Prabhupada's room. And, and, and Johnny turns to this devotee and he says, so what should I do? He says, oh, just pay your obeisances when you go in the room. He says, what are obeisances? And he says, oh, just do what I do. He says, oh, okay. <laughs> so, so they go in Prabhupada's room, and this devotee lays himself out, right? Flat, dandavats. So Johnny's like, okay. So he knew Hare Krishna. So he says, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. And he lays himself out. And there was about 15 devotees. They all start laughing, you know. They're just cracking up, you know. Who is this guy? And Prabhupada looked at them and he just, he was angry. He was just, why are, you, why are you embarrassing this person? So Prabhupada just immediately pointed at Johnny and told him, come here, come here. And Johnny went forward and he said, no, here, kept coming forward. And then he's sitting right next to Prabhupada on the floor, right? Prabhupada has a big plate of sweets on the table. He starts feeding him. Golubjumums and uh, Sandesh and Johnny's eating and Prabhupada's preaching to him. 20 minutes he preached to him. He completely made him out of void. I mean, I'm talking. Stripped away all his false ego. Completely stripped him. <laughs> he walked out of that room chanting 16 rounds and following the four rags. I mean, literally. It's unbelievable. When I met him after that, I thought, who is this guy? I mean, me and my brother had been chanting for years. 
But Johnny was like the real deal. Gave up his smoking, gave up booze, gave up everything and just got into it. And he was doing his business at the same time. It was amazing. What a transformation. He became vegetarian overnight, you know. He bought a cookbook, started cooking. <laughs> and he that's, lasted. That's, that's an amazing story. He lasted yeah. like that for about six months with no association whatsoever because these two devotees, he never saw them again. But without any association whatsoever, he lasted wow. six months just doing that. So, so it was pretty far out. So the power of Sadhu Sangha is yeah. not to be underestimated, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, and having, a, you know, having your, your other brother to take initiation, I'm sure that also was a, a shelter for you also during that time. He was actually, he'd actually moved to Canada. His wife's Canadian and they had moved to Canada, but, but even that story is an interesting story. When Gore was, uh, Gore Natai, when Gore was, he actually went to Canada in 1974 and there he met his wife and she took him to the temple in Winnipeg and he stayed there, became a devoy, but he never shaved up, never shaved his beard off, never, cut his hair, you know, but he said he would send me these postcards uh, all about the devotees and all about the holy name in this. So then he came back and um, we picked him up at the airport and he immediately started to preach to all my friends and 16 of us became devotees because of him. 16. Can you imagine? They all, we, I was already vegetarian, but they all immediately became vegetarian and we all started chanting Hare Krishna. And then we, they, these were the friends that when I moved to England, we had this place in the country. We were all devotees, you know? So we used to have the devotees come and have these big kirtans in the house. And it was like, it was like these rocking kirtans, you know? It's amazing, you know, we were famous and we would distribute prasadam to all the hippies in Cambridge. You know, it was like, it was like far out. <laughs> anyway, that's really, that's, those are some pretty amazing stories. Family, yeah, I didn't, like, when I became a devotee, none of my group, friends, family, well, maybe my brother a little bit showed some interest, but outside of that, I was really on my own, you know, it was hard. And I kept thinking, oh, I wish I had a friend from school that, cause I tried, I tried to interest all my friends. And I thought, yeah, this is what we've all been looking for. And no, none of them seemed to, you know, be interested. So I, I always marvel when I hear these whole soul group, you know, we could call them soul groups or something, just all coming together. and joining and that's that's really yeah there was a whole at the manor there was a whole huge scottish contingent joined you know it's just like an amazing amount of the boys joined and uh, you know a lot of them are still the boys to this day but you know it was it was pretty far out yeah it was yeah. very far out <laughs> in any case after after jai tirtha left um the new gbc and i just didn't get on you know so he basically kicked me out so that's another thing that you kind of learn that the one thing that you're given by Krishna is service. And when you lose mm -hmm. your service, it's almost like, you know, you lose an arm or something, you know, it's very painful. It's a very painful experience. So I lost my service. And at that time I was running the BBT in Northern Europe. Oh. I ran the whole, the whole BBT, all the book, all the book uh, production. Wow. And, uh, 
I loved that service. In fact, that's how I met Saki. She was, we brought her over from New York to uh, typeset and mm -hmm. she ended up being my right hand and, you know, we get married. In any case, um, you know, I came to Detroit after that in 1982 on the urging of Rameshwar. I'd become very close to Rameshwar because of Jai Tirtha. And, uh, you know, I really liked Rameshwar. Um, we were, we became quite close friends, but he was, he, he was, uh, you know, very insistent I retake my, cause I'd taken second from uh, Jai Tirtha. So he was very insistent I take the second initiation. So I did a whole bunch of studying and, uh, and in the end, we had this big old argument at the airport of all places in Detroit. And he agreed that you don't have to take your initiation again, your Prabhupada's disciple, end of the story. But then when I moved to um, Kansas and um, we bought this, this, this place here, another sannyasi friend of mine, Ganapati Swami, would come visit and he would visit a couple of times a year. And we started studying together. So we did a, a study of all of Prabhupada's books and then we started studying other books. And I got uh, Guru Maharaj's Bhagavad Gita and that must've been about something like 2003 or four, something like that. So when I read his Bhagavad Gita, it completely blew my mind. I went, wow, who is this person? You know, Now I'd known Tripurari Swami as a brahmachari, as the incarnation of book distribution. We worshiped him. He was like our hero. For all the brahmacharis in England, probably worldwide, but in England especially, all the book distributors, they saw him as being the guiding light. You know, he's the one that knows how to do it. He's the best preacher in the world. Next to Prabhupada, you know, but he's the best preacher in the world. And he's a sannyasi. And I served seven different sannyasis in my six years uh, as a brahmachari. So I was really attached to sannyasis. Uh, in any case, so when Rameshwar, oh, sorry, so when I, when, when Ganapati Swami started turning me on to Guru Maharaj's books, I started reading them. And then one day we were reading Shikshastikam together and we spent, I'm going to say four hours reading the first shloka. And we read that threadbare. And I remember thinking, this person completely understands the Siddhanta. He knows the Siddhanta better than anybody else on the planet. No doubt about it. So shortly after that, maybe a couple of years after that, uh, Madden Gopal and Gurungi Priya were having a program at their house. Now, I, I was an executive for a, a, a publishing company at the time, and I would travel all over. So this time, I was going to Raleigh for a show in Raleigh. And I thought, I asked Saki if she wanted to come with me. And so Saki would come occasionally with me. So she came with Nimai. And I knew that Madden lived close by. So I'd called him up and said, hey, can I come visit? He said, oh yeah, yeah. I'm having Tripurari Swami at a program. I said, oh, that'll be nice. So then so then I, I, we went and we, and it was, a, you remember the little studio? Yeah, you remember yeah, that. Yeah, I remember that. It was a beautiful little room. So I was sitting at the back next to the window with Saki and Nimai, and, and he gave this amazing class. And Saki turned to me after the class and she said, that's just like Prabhupada. 
she didn't say that exactly, but that, she said something like that. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, because I'd been reading these books. So I was really impressed to start with. But she was really impressed. She was like blown away. And at that point, we decided, okay, I definitely need a Siksha Guru. Uh, and, and it was interesting because Ganapati Swami was really, really liked him also, you know, and he really, he, he would tell me things like, yeah, he really understands the Sadhana. He's really up there, you know, but he'd been ostracized from ISKCON. And I was like, couldn't care less about ISKCON. I was like, whatever. I'd been there, done that, left ISKCON in 87. And I had said, never again, you know, because they just, I was just kind of burnt out, you know. So, you know, when I met him, I was like, oh, this is wonderful. What a breath of fresh air. So I bought all these books and I read them all end to end. And I took his Bhagavad Gita. This is the one thing that I wanted to do. I wanted to read his Bhagavad Gita and Prabhupada's at the same time, verse by verse. So I did that. I read verses to verse. And when I was finished that process, I was like, I'm done. I'm totally convinced. He explained to me what Prabhupada was talking about. That's really how I saw it, you know. So it was a it was a complete revelation for me. Uh, and and you know, Guru Maharaj, you know, obviously I've met him many many times now, and you know we listen to his classes and we and his Q and A on Sunday on a regular basis. And he's been here a couple of times. He came he came twice to the farm here. Uh, spent a few days. And, you know, we had a kind of a festival here. And it was very, very nice. We, the Bhaktivan, our place is called Bhaktivan, but Bhaktivan is 40 acres. It's a beautiful place. It's a very, very beautiful place. And um, for years, my friend Gopi Mata had a yoga studio on the property and she taught yoga teachers. And as a result of that, I mean, literally, we've made hundreds of devotees here, you know, hundreds and hundreds of devotees. And, you know, um, some of them have gone on to be temple presidents and stuff like that, you know. But, but you know, it's, it's uh, you know, I kind of feel very blessed to be here, you know. And, and in fact, there's a funny story about that. I, I may as well tell you this funny story. So I met, I don't know if you've ever heard of Ashutosh Oja, He's a very famous astrologer. He was, his his father was Prabhupada's astrologer, and he was the he was the king of Jaipur's astrologer. So he was a famous astrology family. Anyway, so I met him in England. I don't know in like uh, ninety three or something like that. And he told me that that um, you know the way my chart was that I would never be happy or successful until I moved to either Kansas or Iowa. <laughs> and I thought, what's in Kansas? <laughs> so two years later, I moved to Kansas just by complete accident. I, I, didn't, I never meant it. So you talk about the divine arrangement. That was pretty funny. <laughs> that is really, that's, because those are two places I don't think anybody would pick, you know, that to go to, you know, <laughs> kind of like. Um, the Midwest, really? What's out there? Just yeah, not much. Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you've done some real nice outreach. So I have some questions about, um, you know, you so so you got through those brahmachari years, and seems like you know you had some challenges, but you 
kind of got through them pretty smoothly, it sounds like, because you had good association. And so then you yeah. entered Grahasta life, 1982, and mm -hmm. you've had um, four children. And I'm just wondering if you had, have had some struggles in, in that period, time period that you would like to share that may have been, yeah. you know, challenging for you. Actually, that was probably the biggest challenge. The biggest challenge I've ever had was losing a son. So my son was killed in an accident. And actually, I had to, he was hit by a truck. And I actually crawled underneath and pulled his body out. And he, he survived for two days on life support. And th these two days, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but it probably saved my life. He saved my life. He saved my spiritual life for sure. At that time, I was a, you know, I was a big shot. I was a sales manager for a huge international insurance company. I was making tons of money, driving fancy cars, all the rest of that. And I, I was losing my mind, actually. I could see materialism was, I was still chatting, but it was like very superficial. Anyway, that happened. And I remember, um, it was a very far out process. Um, so just give me a minute to, to kind of make this discernible. Sure. He was, he was on life support, as I say, and when he actually passed away, I hadn't shaved or I'd just been sitting by his bedside. And actually my mother came down and she fasted for the whole day by his bed. She was a very sweet lady, my mom, you know? And she just sat there and prayed for a whole day just beside his bed. And that gave me strength. I thought that's so kind of her to, to do that, you know? Mm -hmm. And then uh, when he actually passed away, um, we were in the ICU and it was a dark room. I went away and took a shower and came back. And when I came back, Saki was holding him, holding his body. And she was crying and she was talking to him. And I remember around her was this glow. It was like these beings were in the air. <laughs> People would probably say I'm insane, but, but I saw them. They were like Vishnu Dutas, and they were in the air. And I knew, okay, Krishna's taking care of him. I don't have to worry, nothing to worry. And then he left his body and just went left, you know, and then the, the room got dark again. And, and, and I, remember, I remember that gave me an incredible faith but but at the same time i realized that where I, the road i was taking was the wrong road i had taken the wrong road so mm -hmm. we struggled on for a couple of years in that place they were right and then we we decided we can't do this anymore so we we sold our house and we moved to the south coast of england to a, a house actually on the beach and i started working for um for the manor, actually, funnily enough, I was uh, doing a research project to find a find a a, a new property for for um, self sufficiency project, and I ended up writing a uh, with another devotee, Kundidi. We ended up writing this very in depth business plan. But my job was to find uh, the actual the actual land, the building, the land. So I was going around the country doing that, and. Um, you know, it was a very wonderful experience, you know, because it showed me that 
this is feasible, that you could do self-sufficiency, that this is possible to do, but you need a lot of different things to do it. So when I, I ended up, you know, when that, when that thing finished, a devotee friend of mine had a business in Hawaii and he said, well, why don't you come manage this business? Because he knew I'd been a, a manager. So I went to Hawaii and I managed this business for this, uh, this German devotee. And then the, that devotee asked me, so we relocated to Hawaii, and that was kind of nice for, for Saki and the kids, you know. So um, at that time, then I took that business and relocated it to Las Vegas. And when we ended up in Las Vegas, we just hated the place. <laughs> it was like horrible. It was, I, I mean, can imagine after going home. I remember, I remember hearing this joke once. If I if I owned hell in Vegas, I'd live in hell and rent out Vegas. So it's kind of like that, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so anyway, when I was in Vegas, when that finished, when that contract finished, my best friend I caught was here in Kansas. And we had been keeping in touch. And he said, well, why don't you come to Kansas? Because we were just going to go back to England. But I didn't want to go back to England. Now that we were in the States, I thought, let's just stay there. So we ended up in England. And as soon as I got to Kansas, I said to him, I said, okay, we're going to find a place and we're going to start a project out in the country. So we immediately started looking for things. We didn't have, we didn't have any money, but I thought Krishna will provide. And it's amazing how Krishna provides. I mean, when I landed in Kansas, I had one month's rent and really nothing else. And But, you know, I found work and then I, I, be, I ended up being an executive for a, for a publishing company, you know, that was based in San Francisco, but they had an office in, the, <laughs> in, in Lawrence. And they just kept promoting me. And, uh, and I ended up, it was a kind of a far out job, you know. I ended up, you know, as an advertising director for a, an international publication. And I kind of traveled the world with that. And it was, but it was, it was hard work, I have to tell you. Anyway, so so I did that for many years, and uh, and that's how we afforded to buy this place, you know. So, so how was it that how was it that you were able to um, get involved again in a very high powered kind of workplace I, and well, not I, not get pulled into the materialistic aspects of it, or maybe you did again, but you... well, no. Here's, here's a funny story about that because everybody called me Indra at that point. Like in business, everybody had always called me by my regular name, Ed. But when I interviewed for that job, there were already two Eds in that department. And they said, do you go by any other name? I said, well, as it happens, all my friends call me Indra. So at that point, I was Indra. And of course, that opened up a whole thing about Hare Krishna, this and that. And in fact, the first time I went to DC on a business trip, my boss was there and his wife, and we were staying at the Hyatt downtown. And I was uh, waiting in the bar for him. We were going out to Georgetown for a meal or something. And I was chatting, you know, I had my, I didn't have beads at that time. I had a clicker, you know, I, I've since given, I've renounced the clicker. But anyway, I was clicking away in the bar. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, 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 Hare, 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 Ram, Hare, Ram, 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 Ram Hare, Hare. And he comes in and he says, oh, what are you doing? I says, oh, I'm chanting Hare Krishna. He says, oh, would you teach me? So my boss and his wife, I sat him down in the bar at the higher region, and I taught him how to chant Hare Krishna. <laughs> so, 
I always thought I... So if anybody ever sees Indra in a bar, <laughs> don't think that he's there breaking the principles, but he's yeah, there no. <laughs> So we went out, yeah, we went out to Georgetown and we were in this restaurant and it was, uh, I think it was kind of like Halloween time. Anyway, so the doors were open. It was kind of one of these restaurants where they have doors that open on your patio. And it's on the main drag there. So I hear the ch 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 The high and parties come along the road. <laughs> so, so my boy says, hey, there's your buddies, let's go. So we all jumps up and we goes out and we joins the high and party. It was hilarious. It was just like, so for months after that, whenever my boss would come in my cube, he would say, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. So it was like far out, you know. Anyway. I think in Kansas, people are a lot more open-minded, you know? <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Although they always say it's very conservative here, but. Well, you have a very fun-loving, light <laughs> nature, humorous. You like a lot of humor, you like fun, oh, yeah. you, all that. <laughs> but yet there's, a, there's also a very serious side to your nature. And um, it's just interesting how Krishna has arranged so many things in your life to kind of fulfill both the needs of the fun-loving and the serious <laughs> sadhaka. Yeah, you can't, you know, uh, I, I don't take life seri very seriously. I have to say, I, uh, you know, just like I manage a clinic, a, a medical clinic here in Lawrence right now. But the director, the person that owns the clinic is a devoyer. He's my best friend's mm -hmm. eldest son. He's a medical doctor. But his, his goal when he put this together was to make it a completely alternative, integrative clinic. So the first thing that we decided was, well, what are we going to call it? So he said, well, what about Atma Clinic? I said, oh, that's a great name. So, so it's the Atma Clinic in Lawrence, Kansas. And it has become one of the most famous places this whole area for the type of work that he does. Um, and, you know, I have the great, by Krishna's mercy, the great privilege of, of managing that. And, and as a result of that, um, I've managed a bunch of companies in the last 10 years, different, I've launched a, a lot of different businesses and that type of thing. In fact, I always thought I'd love to help devotees do this, you know, so Neela really was the first really good one, shall we say. And and we are growing this clinic very well. But but an offshoot of this clinic is another business that we're just launching at the same time. And that has even more potential. So so I'm kind of, uh, you know, that's kind of what I do. And I, I really wanted to help Guru Maharaj with his projects. But for whatever reason, you know, it just never worked out. You know, the businesses just didn't work very well. So so that's my goal. That's my, uh, that's what I pray for. I pray that one day I'll actually be able to do something, you know, so for him. Well, I, that's a beautiful prayer. And um, I think you are doing a lot for him. It may not be like in the direct way that, well, I think we all had some idea like moving to Sagrahi and some right. things, but um, yeah, just being who you are and, sharing his you know books and you know having him come and speak and in kansas i mean all those things have been um wonderful services that you've done i just wonder if they're just looking at looking you know 
don't, we have, we still have some minutes, but um, just any other things? I know that it was very challenging time for you with when your son um, left his body. Um, any other major or? Well, actually, you know, I, I kind of touched on the whole Yatra disintegration. Um, that was bad. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I've, I don't know. I've been persona non grata in ESCON a number of times for whatever reason, I don't know. I always wonder why that is. And that can be challenging too, you know, because <clears throat> I have a lot of friends in ESCON and mm -hmm. um, certainly they're, they're wonderful devotees. And I've always tried to remain positive no matter how people see me because they really see me in the light of Guru Maharaj. But, you know, I've been vindicated because now we have a whole group here in Lawrence, in, in this area that we regularly read Guru Maharaj's books, you know, and right now we're, we're more than halfway through the Bhagavad Gita. So that to me is like um, my life, you know, my life is preaching. I, I have no other, I have no other goal in life. I, I mean, business for me is just something that I do in order to preach, you know, it's not like I have any, you know, I, don't get me wrong. I love doing what I do. I really love, I love the whole challenge and the analysis and, and, and all this, all the work that goes into it, hiring people and training them and all that. But, but really and truly when we actually boil it all down, why do we do it? Because at the end of the day, it, it facilitates, the important stuff. You know, life is short. I mean, I remember when I was a kid and now I'm, now I'm old, you know? <laughs> so I, I've got a few years. In fact, it's interesting you say that. Actually, there is something that, that was a huge challenge. About uh, five years ago, I started experiencing really bad pains in my chest. And, you know, my doctor at that time was Neela, the guy that owns the clinic. So. Um, he, we had, he had, we had been treating it for one thing and, and thinking, but he was always a little skeptical. I always I said, well, we should check your heart out, make sure it isn't your heart. So about four years ago, I actually went to a cardiologist and they said that I had angina, that there was a problem with my heart. And, it, and when that happened, um, he said, okay, we'll do a stress test just to just to check it out. Now, my mother-in-law passed away on the Monday. I was getting the stress test on the Wednesday and I was leaving for Philadelphia to go to her funeral on the Thursday, right? So I'm in the stress test and I blacked out, I collapsed. And, and it was like, wow, what happened there, you know? So, so they, they did some tests and stuff and I walked out into the parking lot and I'm sitting in the parking lot making some phone calls and my phone goes off. And it's the nurse, and she says, "Oh, we saw something. You really, you need to, you need to um, have an angiogram." So I said, "Oh, okay, yeah. Well, I'm going to Philadelphia, so when I come back, we'll take care of it." So I thought, "Well, tell you what, I'll phone Neela and I'll ask him." So I called him, and he said, "You know what? Let's just let me call the cardiologist. I'll get back to you before six. Don't worry." Calls me back in ten minutes and says, "You ain't going here." You're not going to Philadelphia, sorry. 
you have to you have to get this angiogram. So I had the angiogram, and I'm in the room with the cardiologist, and he's got a big monitor in front of him. He turns the monitor around and he, and he points to an area in my heart. And he says, "See that thing there? If that bursts, you'll die immediately." Now, when I had two two different astrologers a few years ago told me that I was going to die at a certain point, that I wouldn't live long. In fact, they even told me when I was going to die. Never happened, obviously. But but they some something in their chat said, "Okay, you've got this karma that's, that your heart's going to kill you." And it turns out my uncle and my grandfather, and my mother's side, both had died of the same thing. It was it was congenital. So anyway, so the the cardiologist is is telling me that I could die right now. And I looked at him. And I said, "Understand, guy, this ain't up to you. It ain't up to me either. It's, this is in Krishna's hands, you know." If I die right now, that's perfect. And if I don't die right now, it's also perfect. But I don't feel like I'm going to die. I think I've got things to do. And, you know, Krishna's going to look after me. So I had a triple bypass, blah, blah, blah. I went through that whole thing and it was fine. And as a result of that, actually, I feel better today than I have for years. I feel like I get, I'm a new, I get a new body, you know. Mm. So I always remember Guru Maharaj talking about that, that sometimes Krishna gives you karma in order that you'll carry on. Because, mm. you know, everybody said I should have died. That's the bottom line. But you know what? I was never, never once had any fear whatsoever of dying. Not once. Oh. And, you know, why would, why should we fear dying? It's just like anything else. You know, you open one door and then, you know, you go through mm. it. You know, it's not the end it's of the really world. Beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> really beautiful. So what are, what are some of the most, or what is, would you say the prof, most profound changes that you've seen in yourself through the process of practicing bhakti and becoming a hero well, well, uh, Yeah, it's kind of interesting because you find, remember, you start with the spark. So the spark for me was the holy name. So I heard the devotees on the TV and that holy name awakened something in me. Then when I got the book, that awakened it further. Then when I saw the guru, that was like the culmination of that process. So I kind of got to the point where, okay, I have faith, you know. So my, so my faith was firm at that point. And then I, you know, after I took initiation. And then it took a bit of a dip simply because, you know, there was so much chaos in this gone. It was like just a world of it a world of insanity but then meeting guru maharaj was like meeting Prabhupada again you know it truly was i truly felt like i had two gurus at that point <laughs> that really i had full faith in Prabhupada and i had full faith in him and that's been the case ever since and i i, I don't mean i don't mean to um uh, in any way um demean the or not demean but i mean um what's the word there's a word i'm looking for um underestimate uh, you know his influence his influence is the number one influence in my life and it always will be now you know but but i have this abiding faith in Prabhupada that i can that it's just pure gratitude, you know, that he got me here, you know, but Guru Maharaj is, is my sustainer, you know, he's the one that's, that's sustaining me. And, and, you know, I, I truly feel like, you know, we can climb mountains together. I truly feel like that, you know, 
that there's that nothing's impossible anymore. And yeah, it's a wonderful it's a wonderful um, place to be. I would, uh, you know, but but I also see how it's hard for for people nowadays for. For our generation, Archana City, it was a lot easier because we had ashrams, you know? Yeah. And they were hard. They weren't easy. But at least we had an ashram that we could go in and, and stay there and get that association. And, you know, I'd go to Mongolari at the moment. There would be 400 devotees at, the, at Mongolari. I mean, it was like, it was incredible. It was just... Yeah. 4.15 in the morning, just chanting the holy name out the wadja. We had kirtans that lasted four hours. I mean, think about that. A four-hour kirtan where you just lose yourself in the kirtan completely. And, you know, I mean, I try to, I try to teach this to, to this generation, but it's hard. It's complicated, you know, because you need to find your way, and you need to find your way at this time. That, you know, it isn't the same as it was, but then that that's an opportunity and a challenge. So yeah, so my challenge is to find the bridge to try and bring people into that, um, into that safe place and teach them what I know and let them grow and give them shelter when, when when they ask for it. You know, so. mm, it's beautiful. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're going to see if we have any questions from um, any last thing that you would want to say that I maybe didn't ask you that you think is important for everyone to know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a million things. I know there's say. so many things. Oh, oh you know, like. oh, you know, one little thing I'm just going to say about 10 years ago, Guru Maharaj gave me five cows to look after. I don't know if anybody's ever looked after cows, but you know what? You want to you increase your, your back to take care of cows. Do the garden and take care of cows, but cows are amazing. Mm. They reciprocate in every kind of way, including bad ways. They butt you. They, they mean something. But you know what? When you got them, you're scratching them, you're feeding them, you're cleaning them. It's, a, it's an amazing thing, you know? And, you know, that was a real blessing. That was a real blessing from, from Guru Maharaj. And two of the cows have since passed away. They were quite old. But we looked after them right up until the minute that they did that. And my youngest son now looks after them. And I am so oh. grateful that he's taken up that service because he loves that service. It is like, you know, he is so, you know, so kudos to Nimai. Yes, Nimai kudos Chandra. to Nimai. That's, yeah, cow seva. I have to say that's one that I haven't really ever entered into just my fear of the animal. They're so, they're just so big. And I've had my friends have, you know, I've had a friend who had their foot stepped on and I've had a friend, Sumati, oh. who got thrown and my dear friend Pranada's son who was thrown up in the air so there's i have this very um <laughs> maybe cautious i'm very cautious around the, the cows so i i have to do that in my mind to, to worship the cows that's all right you don't you don't even you don't have to even go in the pen if you don't want to but, but the truth <laughs> is about yeah i've been butted i've been stood on i mean it's yeah i guess i'm just it doesn't really fit. but look at saki 
Saki goes and takes care of the kids. She's a tiny wee thing. She's tiny, yeah. I mean, she's, she'll go out there and she's shoveling. In the winter, she's shoveling dung and, and scratching them and feeding them and, you know. Yeah, it's definitely, I think, a, um, <laughs> a service that gets Krishna's attention very quickly and a lot of mercy from it. So I encourage everybody to take that up as if you're, if you don't have, you know, fears like I if do. You <laughs> if you can, if you have the facility. Well, the, the other thing that, the other thing that I do every year is grow a garden. So we grow a lot of vegetables and then freeze them, can them, that kind of thing. I would encourage everybody to do that also. There's nothing like having your own produce to offer to the deities. And then the third thing is we have a beautiful temple room. We have a beautiful temple room with deities, a completely separate big room, 350 square feet. That's another thing that I think, you know, the process of deity worship is just, it's just so wonderful for keeping you focused, keeping you grounded, you know. That's something that, not just a little picture, and but actually, you know, when you have your own place, you know, get a little, say, Gornetai deities or something, and just start start the process. It doesn't have to be, we don't do complicated worship, but, but you know, every day, Saki bathes or bathes shallograms, and, nice. you know, it's, it's a yeah. very, very beautiful process. So. Yes, deity worship, and for Grahastas is so helpful if you have the, the time to don't even like you said you can keep it very simple with gourmet thai worship and right um yeah so thank you so much a lot of really you know it's it's lovely to hear all hear from you even though you know we've known each other for some years now since modern's program that you came to um so it's very um nice to hear some details some Get, get the story filled in a little bit. Thank you. So we do have one question here in the chat from Sharda. Um, where in South Coast of England were you before you went to North America? Um, I was actually in just near Camber. Uh, Rye, you know Rye? So Cam we were actually oh, yes, in Camber. Rye. Right, Camber Sands. So... So we were there, we had actually, if you go to the, if you look up Camber Sands, there's a place called the Watch House, which is in the far east side. We had that house, it's a big house and it's got a kind of a beautiful thing on the roof. So yeah, we lived there. And then we moved Eric. a little, we moved a little north of there to Pease Marsh, you know, where uh, Paul McCartney lives. Oh, <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, just curious, because oh, no <laughs> I'm in right now so that's my other home in devon as well as saranagati in british columbia so oh. just wondering oh my brother yeah. started my brother started saranagati he was one of the first oh. going to tie he was one of the first devotees there wow. oh, i thought i i thought that name was familiar so thank you <laughs> okay i'll tell them back in saranagati yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, is bala krishna still there he's still there he's a oh, little yeah. bit weak frail oh. now but he's oh. you know he doesn't do farming anymore he does more social media now but uh you know building up his own website and uh, zoom meetings and stuff but yeah he's still around well, <laughs> say harry yeah. boyum when you see him him and gore oh. were, were good friends he was good friends with me also i he was a sweet man okay i will oh well yeah. Hare krishna i'll let oh, you go nice to, nice to see your see your face this time nice well done <laughs> Thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Hare Bo. Bo.
So, um, <laughs> so we have a comment from um, Marungo Paul, uh, Jai Pops, love you. And, um, <laughs> and he, then, he is my son by default. He, he and when he first got married, they came and lived with us uh, at Back to Van. And I tell you, Madden Gopal and Garunga Priya are so, so dear to us. They are just such sweet, sweet devotees. And he was such a big influence on me. Um, such a level-headed, honest, wonderful, you know. So what can I say? Nice, beautiful. Um, and then Indra has a question for you. Um, she said, such a pleasure listening to you. Oh. Maybe I missed it, but I wonder how did you get the name Indra Nuja? And what does <laughs> right. it mean? And how do you like it? <laughs> well, first of all, Indra Nuja means Indra Anuja means the, you say you could translate it as the younger brother of Indra. So uh, Aditi had 10 sons. The ninth was Indra, the 10th was Vamana. So it's a name for Vamana Dev. And Prabhupada was translating the eighth kind of Vamana Dev pastimes, I think. And that's how I got the name. So it's a very unusual name. There's only one Indra Nuja, the uh, Prabhupada disciple. There is, I've, there's a couple, I think, um, I, I've met a couple of others, but, but it is quite an unusual name. So, yeah. And how do you like it? Oh, I love it. Oh, Indra, Indra is such a Scottish sound to it. You know, it's got such, such I hated the name Edward. It was, a, it was an accursed name, you know. <laughs> it's, it's English, you see, and the Scots don't like the English. So, so it's like, uh, that's a joke, by the way. But anyway, but anyway the, uh, so they had this whole thing, you know, my mother gave me this name and I asked my mother one day, I said, why did you give me an English name? She says, oh, I had an uncle called Edward. I said, that's a terrible name, but it's like, you know. So she says, oh, it's fine. So anyway, I was like, okay. So I was always wanting to get rid of that name. So when, when I got the name Indra Nuja, I said, oh, that's a brilliant name. Especially you can reduce it to Indra. And so Indra. Controller. There you go. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's from Indra. Indra Bahia. It's from Indra, yes. Of course. And that's why she would be asking that question. Yeah. Um, is, uh, your, is, Akura, yeah. is your brother Gore president temple? Temple president at Soho, London? No, no. no. He, he lives in Prince Edward Island in Canada. He has a farm there. So, yeah, he's he has been in Escon for a long, long, long time. That particular Gora, I don't even think is a proper disciple as far as I know. Mm -hmm. But anyway, yeah. My, 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 my brother has the distinction of being the very, him and his wife were the very, very last to get second initiation from Prabhupada. They got second initiation the day before Prabhupada left. Wow. Yeah. So anyway. So Akura, I have a question for you. How, how did you do with the translating? Yeah. Wow. Wow, Krishna empowered you. <laughs> It's because you had such Beautiful. a sincere desire, Karai, to do that service. 
I know for like for I listened to Prabhupada for two months on listening to his lectures like for hours every day and could not understand a word. I mean, maybe a few words, but then one day it was like Yeah, right. <laughs> so thank you so much, Akura, for for being able to come on and take up the challenge and Krishna empowered you. So Yay. <laughs> any other questions from anyone that um, you'd like to ask? You could just unmute yourself and ask if you have a question. And if you're on the Spanish side, you could ask Akura to ask for you. Okay, we do have something from Annapurna. <laughs> well, I, that's a really hard question. I mean, I know lots of astrologers, but the only one that I ever found that was really good was uh, this Ashutosh Oja, who I, I don't even know if he's still alive. Um, but, you know, I mean, you have to take astrological charts with a grain of salt. I mean, honestly, you can't be too, too attached to what they say. They'll give you a general indication of stuff, you know, like, like him telling me that I should live in Kansas. I didn't take his recommendation. I just ended up here. But it's interesting. When I got here, everything just came together. It was like magic, just completely magical. The whole thing just coming together, buying the land. I mean, going from zero to, you know, getting a, a career from nowhere. And then, you know you know, improving my Krishna consciousness just immensely. So maybe there is some truth to it. So you just have to find someone who's, who's good. And, you know, there are a few devotees that do, um, that do practice it. Unfortunately, one of the ones that I really did like was um, Yoga Maya's husband. What's his name again, Arjuna? What was his name? Um, Hamsadutta. Hamsadutta. Hamsadutta, yeah. unfortunately, passed away, but he was actually a very good astrologer. I, I really liked his, his uh, methodology. You can find devotees, so just find a devotee that, you know, is, comes recommended. Uh, ask around, and you'll find somebody. And then be aware that you are a devotee. And that means that you're under the divine energy now. You're no longer under the modes of material nature. Astrology really is more about how the modes interact. So, you know, that's why I say you take it with a little pinch of salt, you know, just because you just, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily, it wouldn't necessarily be true, you know, or very true. So thank you for that. Good. There you go. Okay. Nice. Wonderful. Yeah. There you go. Well done. Yeah. And I think, yeah, totally what, you know, if you're looking for some help, maybe with what direction to go with career and things like that, it could be really helpful with understanding your 
propensities. And, um, but as far as predictive value, it's, I don't know, it's unless you have somebody who like in your astrologer, but I've heard a lot of devotees telling me that they should have died a long time ago and they're still alive and, you know, so. Yeah, that, that I found was kind of not very nice. That was, that to me is not a, a sign of not a good astrologer. It's because not really even, a good thing to be telling. Yeah, I mean, you shouldn't be telling people. I that. mean, you should, everybody should know that death is in their chart, but um, as far as, and everyone should act as if today is their last day. I mean, I think that's, that's good advice. Um, right. And live in such a way that, you know, you really make every day count. But yeah, as far as Krishna, it's up to Krishna how how long a devotee stays in the world, and you know if we're if we can do better in another situation, then Krishna's gonna make that arrangement. So exactly, exactly. Well done, thank you. Well done. All right, well. So thank you so much, and um, let's see. Next week we have Maha Mantra. David wow. from Raleigh. Um, so I'm excited to have oh, nice. her, her interview. Um, oh, so, I like my mantra. Yeah, yeah she's a lovely devotee. And um, so we look forward to seeing everyone next week and or even before. We'll see you maybe on, for the classes during the week or a Sunday call. Um, and thank you so much, everyone, for your participation. Bye. Jai Guru Maharaj Ki Jai, Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Jai. Haribo. Haribo.